Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow. Ask the Dean, episode 89. I'm Dr. Ryan Gray, your one, one of the four amazing co-hosts here with Varinia Granum from the Mapped team. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for asking. Weather's the beautiful. Great state of New York. Yes. The weather's beautiful for the time being until yes. the, uh, the the apocalypse the comes for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trying to enjoy this as much as I can. Yes, yes. <laughs> it is three degrees outside my house. Mm. That is coming your way. So buckle up. Mm. Thanks. <laughs> buckle up. Buckle up. Uh, Rachel Grubbs, co-founder of Mapped. 20 years experience 20 years so you started when you were like three right thank you (laughs) (laughs) i did graduate a year early because i started kindergarten when i was four Nice. Really one, of those. one of those. No, mostly I don't have attitude about being a former gifted kid. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. You, sh- you could move to California where they're getting rid of gifted programs. They're like, everyone's equal. Mm-hmm. Like, um, oh, gosh. Yeah. That's a, that's a different story. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's stay off of that topic. Right. Um, and Dr. Scott writes last, but certainly not least. Mm-hmm. And just saying, I came out of the womb being able to read. So I'm just going <laughs> to. I would have assumed. Put right? that out there. They, they gave yeah. you your 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 doctorate at at two years old. Yes, okay. right. That's right. That's Kindergarten, right. yeah. Of course. That's, that's why we want you here on the team uh, to help yes. out because that's who you are. Uh, well, as, as a team, all four of us here, we are team mapped, uh, at least the front-facing part of team maps. We had a lot of people behind the scenes doing mm-hmm. amazing work, helping us do our thing. But uh, we are here uh, almost every week at 1 p.m. Eastern to help as much as possible uh, you on your journey to med school or PA school or whatever school, um, or if you just have questions about life, right? We'll, we'll have you lay down on the couch and we'll talk about, (laughs) talk about life um, and and hopefully help you on your journey. There is a small element of therapy to pre-med Q&A. I I have had lots of therapy sessions with lots of tears and, and lots, lots, and, and they're good. They're good sessions they're not bad sessions those are good sessions yeah so we are here to answer your questions we take the questions directly from our youtube channel um directly at mapped.tv m-a-p-p-d.tv so go there (laughs) go do it um yes you came out of the room in full grad regalia that is you dr rose yep yeah. Oh, I love that. That's always like a good costume. <laughs> <laughs> All right. RM, RM has a question. 
Um, RM, during my undergraduate studies, I burnt out. <laughs> Welcome to the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, what steps can I take to alleviate medical school's concern about potentially burning out during med school? Mm-hmm. So let's let's assume burnout equals either a drop in grades or some hiatus in there as well or a combination of both. <clears throat> Dr. Wright, how, how are students supposed to go? It happened then. It's not going to happen now. Yeah, so this this is a good question, and I think it, it really addresses what you mentioned, Ryan, in terms of what was functionally, what was the result of the burnout, mm-hmm. and uh, because, because that's what's going to be noticeable to med schools, and uh, what you have to do is be able to, uh, you know, because they, they're concerned about that. If some life event happens and the wheels fall off in college, is that going to happen in med school? And uh, they're, they're going to want to probe that some and really understand better, you know, kind of what happened in undergraduate studies. So RM, what I would say is that you need to be really uh, thoughtful about how you talk about this and, and, and address the situation. What was, what was involved in the burnout? What was, what was going on and, and do a deep am- amount of reflection for yourself to understand exactly why you burned out and what steps you're taking now to make sure that doesn't happen in medical school that's what they're going to want to hear for example in an interview where you're where you're you know talking about stress and how you deal with stress and and what what uh, avenues you take to uh, to uh, alleviate stress in your life uh, but if it, if it's a um, if it's a great issue obviously you're going to have to repair that some way to guarantee to the medical schools that you have the capability to perform at a high level uh, if there's some other result of that you know those are going to be obvious and you're, you're going to have to address those uh, in the application to kind of depending on what it is we, we would re- really need a little bit more information Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say just sort of generally speaking, when we're talking about alleviating or avoiding burnout, what you want to think about is, did you plan for some cushion in your life to not push too hard? And I mean, everything I've heard from every med student is med school, being a med student is like pre-med, not 2.0, but like to the power of two, like things go so much faster. Um, you have to learn how to create new study skills. So it, it is going to get harder. I'm, I'm not trying to scare you, although it may a little, it's just, we want to be realistic, but um, the med students I know that are, are managing are aware of when they need breaks, right? They, and, and we, we can't always tell you how to alleviate your burnout because only you know what works for your own mental health, but is it, um, the occasional Netflix binge day? Is it making time to go for early morning runs? Um, is it doing some mindful breathing five to 10 minutes a day? Um, you know, you have to figure out what it is you need, um, but but make plans for that. Don't, don't assume you can just go, 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 because that's where the burnout will come from. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Olivia asks, what is considered clinical experience? (laughs) We need that jingle, darn it. Uh, I do not currently have clinical experience, and I am wondering if becoming a certified medical assistant will provide the clinical experience needed. Thanks. Yes. Medical assistants, even a non-certified medical assistant is Mm -hmm. clinical experience. Great clinical experience, yeah. Wonderful clinical experience. (laughs) Not very well-paid clinical experience. Right, right. Here's what I love about Miss Olivia's question is, 
rather than just saying, here's a thing, is it clinical? She starts by saying, what is considered clinical? And we're always asking our students to sort of take our big picture advice, our general advice, and apply it to themselves. So let's, yep. let's take a minute and define what makes it clinical. Verenia, you want to take a crack? Sure. So any activity in which you are directly involved in the care of another human being, um, regardless of setting, right? You're, you're taking care of, you know, their health, their well-being, making them comfortable. Um, usually in, in a doctor's office, for instance, you're, as a medical assistant, you're taking their vitals or um, just communicating with them about what's going on. Um, so any opportunity or any uh, role where you can directly basically put your hands on a patient <laughs> uh, would be a great clinical opportunity. Yeah. And not always, not always putting hands on hospice is a wonderful clinical mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. A lot of times in the home, just mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. supporting, talking. Um, that's a lot of emotional support, mm -hmm. but those, those are patients. Yeah. Um, nursing home. Those are great nursing homes. Mm -hmm. they, they, there's always the, the one caveat, right? Of like, this part in the nursing home, great, right? You're feeding the patient, interacting with them, making sure they're not choking, aspirating on food, mm -hmm. playing bingo with them, not <laughs> clinical experience, right? There's right. always that other side where it's like you, you got to use some some your critical thinking skills there. Right. Yeah. It's it's not about the location. It's not about the title. It's about what you're doing. Are you directly interacting with the patient in a way yes. related to their health? Mm-hmm. If any of you watching right now, whether live or on replay, are programmers, <laughs> email us. We have isitclinical.com. We have yet to uh, design the, the, the fun little uh, app, a game that we want to put on there. If like, yeah. click, 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 ding, ding, ding. It is clinical. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Reach out. We'd love to talk. Yeah. All right. Seamus, 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 probably Seamus. Uh, this is a TMDSAS related question. Too bad we don't know. We don't have anyone who knows TMDSAS. I know. Uh, the stats show that those who apply in June or July have a higher chance of getting admitted. Is that the submission of the primary or secondary app? So Seamus has been paying attention to the data. Yeah. I love this data. I love that TMDSAS puts this out. I loathe that AMCAS and ACOMAS do not. Uh, put this kind of data out to be transparent and help students understand rolling admissions is a thing and can mm -hmm. impact your application. Mm -hmm. uh, and yes, TMDSAS has put out this data. Um, I, I think you guys kind of pulled it back a little bit though, right? You didn't want to get super transparent, but um, we're talking <laughs> primary here, right? Yes, that's correct. Primary application. And, you know, basically this is a function of the interview invitations, um, in, interviews. And it, there's several things here in, in that are why uh, TMDSA, T, TMDSES pulled back on that a little bit. And that is because, um, you know, there's, there's, um, 
statistics often show that if you have higher numbers, you apply earlier if in, in that the, the, those that have lower numbers are applying a little bit later. Maybe they're waiting on a retake of an MCAT or maybe they haven't decided if they're ready to apply yet or whatever. So there's, there's, other, there's other things going on that kind of affect that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically what we're talking about here is the, is the um, submission of the primary application early so that you're in the, you're in the pool that they're going to be looking at first for interview slots. And as those interview slots get awarded, since there's a finite number of interview slots, then the probability goes down each time an interview slot is awarded to someone, uh, then your probability of getting one of the rest of them, that probability goes down somewhat. Yeah, I, the the kind of metaphor that I was using, or analogy, or whatever, whichever one of those it is, is it's a guy, a, a giant game of musical chairs. Yep. Uh, except instead of always uh, n minus one, right? If you have three players, there's two chairs, two players, one chair. Um, the the it's always n plus some bigger number, right? Yeah. Of, of uh, number of players for diminishing number of seats. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All righty. Lisa asks, I work at a free clinic as an MA and want to put it under community service as I have very few hours of community service. Otherwise, my pre-med advisor says this comes across as deceptive to the adcoms as this is clearly clinical and I should put it under clinical. What should I do? <sighs> so let's talk about trying to play a game that should not be played. All right, Lisa here, Verinia, is trying to play this game of mm-hmm. I'm going to check off all of these boxes to show yeah. that I do community service, I do clinical, I do shadowing, I do all of the things, right? All 18 things I did, even though there's 15 spots, right? AMCAS has 18 categories. There's only 15 spots for those 18 categories, mm-hmm. though. Clinical should be clinical. Yep. Community service should be community service. Absolutely. Shadowing should be shadowing. Work, right? So... Free clinic. If it's work, I'm assuming it's volunteer. So you, mm-hmm. you would put volunteer clinical, mm-hmm. right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I, I wouldn't view this as community service, Lisa. It's um, your question of what should you do is potentially look into other opportunities to provide community service. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, my question would be, why do you think community service is so important? Mm-hmm. Are you just checking a box? True. Mm-hmm. Which it sounds like she's trying to do. Or are you really passionate about community service? And if you are, then you wouldn't be trying to like force this right. like circle into a square. Yep. Yeah, I absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clinical can be paid or volunteer. Um, and AMCAS has a category for either. So when you put your clinical experience, you can list if it was paid or volunteer. Now, there is a, um, a separate idea of community service that's not clinical related. Um, you know, and there are a few med schools out there, and I think, Scott, you've mentioned this before, that kind of specifically want to see your work with the underserved communities, mm-hmm. um, yeah. underserved population in your community outside of medicine. So mm-hmm. Habitat for Humanity, Soup Kitchen. Um, so if you know you're interested in med schools that are looking for that, or like Ryan said, if that's a passion, then you can do it. But I, yep. yeah, I wouldn't and, be trying to play games. <laughs> yeah. And the way this is phrased, she's working at a free clinic, but we don't know. Is that 
are you being paid for your job? I mean, it's still, you know, it's not community service if you're being paid for it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Free to them, not free to you. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> Sorry, Lisa. But there's, there's so much out there that you could do, mm-hmm. you know, so. And, and just general, like, this isn't a game. Don't, don't yeah. try to play a game. Don't try to manipulate things. Mm-hmm. Be, just be say truthful, what it is. Mm-hmm. Be honest. Tell yep. your story. Like it is what it is. Yep. yep. You're not going to fool anyone. <laughs> SS. How do medical schools view a lower undergraduate GPA compared to a perfect grad school SMP GPA with a 506 MCAT score? <laughs> this is, this is a, Put your uh, adcom hat on and tell me what are my chances of getting in. <laughs> <laughs> they want us to play an impossible game. Yeah, Scott. Yeah, thirty-seven percent or forty-two <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, difficult to know. Uh, but you know, all in all, SS. Uh, what I would say is uh, the fact that you had a perfect grad school. Uh, GPA in a special master's program is great. That's phenomenal. Really good. And uh, you should be proud of that. And, and really, um, you know, really that that's done a great deal to, to help in your, in your chances. A 3.4 undergrad GPA is not a bad uh, undergrad GPA. It's certainly not uh, something that I would say is, you know, really a problem. You know, it, it is a little problematic, but, um, but all in all, I would say you, you've done the right thing. Uh, in terms of going into the S&P and, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of other factors here that really make it impossible to answer uh, Mm -hmm. this question. Yeah. The biggest of which is something that, that we try to focus on at mapped. And and I remember when we were a little behind the scenes of the mapped app, when we were kind of putting it together and thinking about kind of graphing GPA and MCAT score and all that, Scott, what's the biggest thing that you kept coming back to us about is this, this focus on GPA and MCAT. It's it's not the application, right? right? It's not the whole application. Right, right. That's right. And, you know, I think that the whole application is viewed by the admissions committee and uh, they're not just going to look at the GPA. They're not just going to look at the MCAT score. They're going to look at the whole picture. What is this person all about? What, what is what, what is their passion? Uh, what are they doing and how much? And this is a, a, a real key. How much reflection have they done about what they the, the activities, the things that they've accomplished, et cetera? Um, you know, the depth of which they talk about with which they talk about those things is really important. And uh, that's what I think medical schools are looking at is depth of thought and uh, and really trying to understand uh, how much you understand about what what you've done and, and the impact of it. Yeah, indeed. You are more than your stats. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And I threw up Scott's title again, just to remind you all, this isn't some random theory. This is coming from <laughs> someone who served as the director of admissions. You, you didn't well, throw up because of his title. You yeah. threw up his title. Uh, yeah, sorry. I placed his title on the screen again. That was, that was unfortunate wording. Speaking of <laughs> random thoughts. <laughs> Rachel was sick last week and it's entered her vernacular. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, when we're spotlighting your Texas expertise, check out this one. 
<sighs> Karina asks, good afternoon. I would like to apply to Texas schools, but I'm a resident of California. I have a gap year coming up and can choose to establish residency in Texas or work at the USADSA. I don't know what that is. That is. Um, any recommendations? So, Texas, mm-hmm. by law, can only accept a maximum of 10% of their class from out of state. Is that mm-hmm. correct, Scott? That is correct. All right. So, if Corinna wants to, she said, I want to apply to Texas schools. She didn't say, I'm dead set on going to Texas schools. Mm-hmm. What, are, what are your thoughts here? Uh, I mean, I think this is a, a somewhat common thing for applicants to do. Um, I think that, uh, uh, Karina, what you need to, to be aware of is that you have to, prior to application, you have to have uh, been in the state for 12 months um, prior to application. They're not going to necessarily project that into the future. So prior to application, 12 months in the state, gainfully employed at least half time and is doing everything that you have to do to establish domicile. In other words, this is where I live and where I want to stay. Get a driver's license, voter registration card, pay utilities, etc. So uh, assuming all of that, then uh, then you would be considered a Texas resident at that point. Uh, I think it's a good idea, uh, particularly for students from California and, and, and some other states as well, where it's really tough uh, to, uh, to get a spot. Uh, there are a lot of Texas medical schools. And so I think this is um, not, I, I would not call this a common thing, but it's not unusual for a student uh, like yourself, Karina, to do this. Yeah. So USADSA is the United States Army Drill Sergeant Academy. Oh, Not what go. I would have come up with in a million years. <laughs> nope. I thought it was the United States Agriculture Defense Safety uh, Academy <laughs> um, to protect yeah. our crops from foreign invasion. <laughs> so I put I typed this in the chat just so Karina you would see it, but it made me think of our friend Adrian. So since you're interested in potentially being a drill sergeant, mm-hmm. check out um, Staff Sergeant MD PhD on Instagram. She's our good yeah, friend. Cool. And cool. Can talk to you about the military pass yeah that's awesome all right let's keep going tristian asks um i work i'm working I, I'm work. I'm work, sorry. Uh, I'm working in a medical society, or I work in a medical society similar to the American Heart Association, writing software for patient care that's been published. I have no formal research experience. Would this work? Quote: Fill the void. All right. So another checking again. the box mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. Checking the box. Verinia. Huh. Tristan wants to check the research box um, by not checking the research box. <laughs> There is no research box. (laughs) What is the research box? No, um, Tristan, it's, I feel like we talk about this often. Research tends to be a little bit overrated. If you're not, you know, if you're, that's not what's going to get you into medical school, right? So your focus should really be on what else you have going on. And hopefully that's all, you know, that's meeting all the necessary requirements. Um, I wouldn't worry about whether or not this counts as a formal research experience. It's, it is what it is. Talk about it in, in terms of what it is and not try to approach it as I'm missing research. So I'm trying to force this into a research opportunity um, or trying to create it into, you know, something that it, it may not be. Um, 
So, you know, focus on the other aspects of your application. This is something you're doing right now. You're working. It's meaningful to you. Then talk about it from that perspective Absolutely. and not from the perspective of I need to fill this void. Yeah. What what I typically see from these types of students who are trying to, like, use one activity for another mm-hmm. type of activity, even if Tristan doesn't specifically mark this job as research, the description and everything that he writes about is is using language around research to be like, this is mm-hmm. research, even though I didn't categorize it as research. And then... I, I miss the ability to connect with you about how this impacted you, about how you impacted it, mm-hmm. because you're trying to force this. I hope you see this as research. Right. 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 That's right. I mean, it sounds interesting. I, I like what yeah. I like what you're doing. I, if, if I was an interviewer, I would be wanting to know about this. I would yep. be like, tell me yep. more about this, you know, what you're doing and right. how your software is, is accomplishing that and yeah. you know, stuff like that. So on its own merits, right? Yeah. yeah. On its own merits. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. You're always going to get better further by just telling your truth. Yep. Yeah. Tell your truth. Tell it, tell it. Magnolia Med, our friend McKenna. I'm speaking at the AMWA pre-med conference. So exciting. On the role of social media in medicine, is it worth putting on my app considering it would put eyes on my own social media? Um, Very good question. So I'll I'll go first here because I I have a different take on this potentially than than I was gonna say some of our elders. Um, (laughs) What? (laughs) I know what you're talking about. (laughs) You mean you know who you're talking about? He's two and a half years younger than me, guys. So (laughs) whatever. So I look. So social media is is our community, right? It's, it's how we communicate. It's how we, um, it's how we show who we are. Physicians are all over social media presenting how they work and the patients they treat and showing their expertise. It's how you build your own quote unquote personal brand, which I think is very important these days to, to get patients and to, to make a living as a physician, especially if you're not in a big academic center, you go out and you kind of, uh, uh, start your own private practice. Like, social media is where it's at. And I I think schools are finally catching on to this and starting their own uh, social media channels. Northwestern neurosurgery has a TikTok channel, uh, which is awesome. Like the, the residency program has a, has a TikTok channel. Like do it, do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. And, you know, McKenna, we know your social media, right? We've parted with you in the past on your Instagram. Um, it's not like your social media, or at least the channels that you've got public, are <laughs> are rife with untoward things. Yes. You know, or Finsta. Like, Stay away from Finsta. But, but yeah. <laughs> right. Hopefully or, everybody's smart enough to have Finsta on private and or just not have one. Um, because, or only fans. Don't, don't put uh, that Yeah. Things are never as private as you think you are, uh, as you think they are. But yeah, I mean, I started calling you Magnolia. That was a joke, mate. That was a joke, by the way. That was poor taste. Everybody go check out Scott's OnlyFans. Uh, but McKenna, I mean, your your social media is mm. is honest and inspiring, right? Like you're just talking about pre med life. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's nothing there they couldn't see. Yep. 
Yeah, I would just add to that. Yeah, if you're going to share with share that, you know, go through it, <laughs> make sure it's, you know, it's not inappropriate in some way that you yeah. weren't thinking or intending to. Um, I, I'm yeah. sort of on the fence because I feel like it's kind of risky. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but I agree with with Brian in that it's become it, it is what it is like. This is the world we live in. Um, and if it's appropriate and it makes sense to to talk about it and put it on your application, then go for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. And as a patient, I absolutely stalk mm -hmm. my doctors. Right. Like I I mean, I use ZocDoc, which is one way, but um, it's a great website. Just free plug. Mm -hmm. We're not working with them. We should. Be. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, if, if if my doctor does not have an online presence, then I'm I'm not interested. Yeah. All right. Grace asks, I'm currently waitlisted for Georgetown and waiting a reply from UCLA. I have a 4.0 GPA and a 515. Hmm. My question is, what can I do to increase my chances of being accepted? Grace, nowhere here do we see what your activities are, mm -hmm. the clinical experiences that you have, the shadowing experiences ha that you have, the research experience that you have, leadership experiences that you have, how you wrote about these experiences, how you tell your story in your personal statement, in your secondary essays, how you talked about things in your interview, assuming this is a post-interview waitlist at Georgetown. We can't tell you how to increase your chances of getting accepted unless we actually saw your application because you are more than your stats. I mean, if you're looking for an answer, get a 517. That would increase your chances. Right. It would but it not. still may not solve the problem. It may not solve the problem. Yeah. yeah. Um, Grace, what I would recommend you do is go check out application yep. renovation. Yeah. It's on the Med School HQ YouTube channel. Um, you'll see there are a lot of students with great stats who didn't get in. And it's, it's for a lot of the reasons that Ryan just discussed. It could be anything else in your application. So go yeah. watch some of those and do some hard reflecting on what's missing. Yeah. So for, for instance, for an example, uh, I had someone reach out and um, they had posted that they, they had a child who wasn't successful or wasn't being successful uh, in this current application cycle. And so I was like, oh, send me, send me the application. I'll take a look at it. So they sent me the application. I took a look at it. Really good stats, right? I always start at stats because those are the easy things to see. Like, did it close the doors? Did it open doors uh, or keep them open? Uh, and then I looked at everything else and it, it kind of was a disaster. The application to, to put it bluntly, um, they had clinical experience listed as non-clinical, non-clinical things listed as clinical. Um, they, the personal statement was only 3000 characters uh, for, for different application services. So, so it, it just, it looked haphazard. It looked like it was rushed. It didn't look like much effort was put into it. And so even with really good stats, the student didn't get traction, which is not surprising. Yep. All right. Christopher asks, so, so just one follow-up for Grace. If you sign up for MAPT, you can go sign up for MAPT, put all of your stuff in, even a, a free trial. Um, use 30 days free for 30 days, free trial. Put all of your stuff into MAPT, all of your activities, all of your grades, all of the, everything. 
you can interact with us in mapped through the chat advising feature right on the side during the free trial um and and say okay like here's everything help me right uh we can potentially do that so mm-hmm. check it out. Please just enter all your data. Yes. Please. <laughs> Once <laughs> a week I get, do I really have to enter it all to get your feedback? And I'm like, I don't know how I can talk to you about your GPA trend if you don't give me your GPA trend. <laughs> and activities too. <laughs> and yes. activities yeah. yes. mm-hmm. Take you about an hour. Um, <laughs> it's not the most fun time in the world, but do it while you're watching a TV show. Yeah, um, right. Well, you can reflect as you're doing it. Indeed. Thank right. you, Brinia. Uh, Okay. Okay. So I wanted to go back to Natalie's question because yes. it was sort of a nice general question around this holistic yes. process. So Natalie, do medical schools look at GP and MCAT together, separately, or a mix of both? In other words, what is the relationship between MCAT and GPA in admissions? Mm. Really good question. Dr. Mm. Scott Wright. Mm-hmm. Impossible questions to answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that, um, Honestly, uh, Natalie, I think it depends on the medical school. Uh, I do know some medical schools that numerically that have a, uh, a formula um, that allows them to use numbers to obviously for the GPA and MCAT, but also for their interview and other parts of the application. It makes those numerical after the review, after the evaluation, and that all of those numbers go together in some formula that's modified in some way, whatever, uh, that allows them to know how they're going to rank the the students. So that's the only really way that I think there is sort of a relationship between the two. They're very different Mm -hmm. uh, and they're perceived different uh, by most admissions committees in terms of what they mean. Uh, Obviously, MCAT is a one-day, one-shot kind of thing. uh, GPA is over four years or more uh, where you're – you know, it's it, it, it's an identifier on how you, how you do in terms of gutting it out day after day after day in the classroom, and so they're very they're very they, they represent different things to 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 admissions committees, although they are often put together in a in a formula score of some type to allow them to you know kind of make it through the mass of of uh, of applications that they have. Yeah. So what you're talking about, Scott, is is a rubric, right? And uh, when when we were at that admissions conference in Toronto, mm-hmm. uh, there was a panel. Uh, yep. It was all basically admissions people, uh, and there was a panel. And some of them were like, "Yeah, we use a rubric," or "No, we don't use a rubric." Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and rubrics make it easier, right? They'll they'll yep. say, "Okay, uh, an MCAT between uh, 472 or whatever the the lowest is, and 490 is basically zero points." Mm-hmm. And 490 and 495 is a half a point, and 495 to 500 is one point, and it, and it will have a, a range, and so your scores are converted into another, mm-hmm. a different score mm-hmm. for a rubric, and let's mm-hmm. say the rubric adds up to 20 points uh, based on GPA, MCAT, amount of clinical experience, and the right. depth of, at which you write about those things, um, the right. the amount of research potentially, and the depth at which you write about things. Like everything is converted into a score and then the school can go, okay, we're starting at the people who have twenties and working our way down until we run out of interviews. 
Yep. And, and, you know, I, I think when, when I was at UC Southwestern, we, what we did with that, we, we just multiplied the, uh, or we added the, the um, MCAT with a GPA times 10. And then what we would do is they do it differently now, but what we would do then is modify that formula based on the other parts of their application. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, we might add points or we might subtract points from that formula that would uh, be based on the other parts, you know, the, the, the uh, non-cognitive parts of the application. And so, but there's a, there's a, you know, many, many ways to, to, to cut that up. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think the key kind of thing there is to understand that it's not just GPA and MCAT, right? Right, like, that's that right. Lizzy M score, <laughs> like yeah. I'm going back to throw up. Like, <laughs> such baloney to think that just your stats are enough. Like, it's so, I mean, think about what you, listener, as a future doctor, when you've been a patient, one of your doctors, right? You're, you're not just thinking about their GPA and MCAT. Right. Right. You want physicians who are um, compassionate and um, dedicated and and so many things that aren't measurable with those stats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's it's the very, very tough job of the admissions committee to try to get a sense of your personality in those essays that you write. Yep. Agreed. All right. I had one more kind of general one around this topic I wanted to get to. Christopher. Christopher asks, the pandemic has presented many challenges over the past year. I'm not sure I've done enough to improve my application. Sitting on one interview, which turned into a hold. Uh, How do you... I'm assuming a wait list hold or interview hold. I don't know. How do you know if you're ready to reapply? The dreaded reapplication question. So... Verenia, if someone doesn't get into medical school, uh, again, application renovation, potentially a good good place to start. How should they kind of debrief and go, okay, let, let me take a deep look at everything that I've done and see where I'm missing to figure out if I'm ready or not? Five letters, M-A-P-P-D. <laughs> Come, you know, check us out. Come your with me and you'll be. Right? <laughs> and I'm not, you know, shamelessly pl- plugging us. I'm, I'm serious. If you, you know, I, I would love to take a look and see what's going on, what happened. Um, we can chat about it and figure out, you know, what you can do, but whether or not you're ready to reapply. So that's a question that you have to kind of take a step back and reflect on obviously you know the parts of your application that need to be looked at but also can you you know realistically devote the amount of time and energy that's going to be required in the next whatever months to apply the financial resources for it are you you know ready to gear up for that again or do you need more time to you know again just debrief and build yourself back up but start first with taking a look at, you know, application renovation or maybe creating a mapped uh, profile. If you don't have one already, uh, we'd be happy to take a look. Mm-hmm. Good luck. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, application renovation is over on the Med School HQ YouTube. I, people watch today are watching from lots of channels. So if you're looking for it, that's where it is. Or you can just Google application renovation, uh, Ryan Gray, and it'll come up. And yeah, it's just a great way to see us deep dive into some applicants. And it won't answer your specific questions. You'll have to use your critical thinking skills to apply them. Mm-hmm. But again, if you want to spend some time entering everything in MAP during your free trial, you'll get a chance to actually chat with one of us it's often dean granham here verinia um so we can actually help you do some of that deep diving with you during your map trial and the, the, you, you also may want to watch some of the am i ready episodes yeah uh, mm-hmm. i think they can be very helpful to helping you sort of understand what what admissions committees are looking at and kind of how they think about those things Right. And am I ready? Because we have lots of YouTube channels. Am I ready is on the map YouTube channel. And that's with Dr. Wright. So am I ready? Is am I ready to apply application renovation as I applied once? What do I need to do to improve? So it's it's kind of same question, different lenses. Mm -hmm. Check them out. They're great. All right. Let's keep going here. Manal asks, when is the absolute latest someone should take the MCAT if planning to apply this upcoming cycle? Rachel Grubbs. <laughs> I really clicked myself on accident, but yeah, I'll take it. I guess Rachel um, wants this one. <laughs> man, it's, there's a little bit of a convenience there in being the one who controls the camera. Um, Manal, this is not a black and white thing. Um, Earlier is better for two reasons. So one is the application itself is a ton of work and it's very challenging to manage MCAT prep and application work at the same time. That said, you're probably going to have to um, because you don't want to wait and start your application after you've taken the MCAT. Um, If you're talking about how late can I take it and actually have score in hand before I hit submit and I want to hit submit in late May, early June, then you've got to take the MCAT by April. If you're talking about when can I take it and still technically be in the cycle, well, most of the med school applications technically end October, November, so you could take a September MCAT. Now, that's not realistic for most people. Taking an MCAT that late is not going to set you up for success. If you were listening earlier in the session, uh, Ryan was talking about the musical chairs game, except chairs keep getting taken away. Um, The later you apply, the fewer interview spots there are. So, um, again, there's no there's no black or white answer here. But I would say as early as you can be ready is the right time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And an absolute latest could be January of the application cycle, because there are some usually DO schools that accept January MCAT scores. Yep. Right. So now it's not what we recommend, nope, right? right? If I had a time machine and could take you all back to two years before you were applying, I would say plan to take the MCAT in January or March of the year you're applying to med school. But it's already February, so if that's not where you are in your life, then you just need to figure out what can I do to organize my life so that MCAT and application can be the priority, and I can do them both. Um, as early as possible while still doing them well. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't have that time machine though. It's a real bummer. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. I've got a little tiny TARDIS on my bookshelf behind me, but so far it has not proved to be bigger on the inside. 
Um, sorry, Doctor Who joke. Someone in the audience is a Whovian. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I'm just going to, like, Horton hears a who, like. Um, <laughs> Benny, I'm currently a first-year student at a Caribbean medical school, but I'm deciding to withdraw from the program. I'm hoping to reapply next year. Wanted to ask for advice how to improve my application. So, again, we can't give advice on how to improve without knowing what your application looks like. So, um, you can reach out mapped.com and, and do a one-on-one session and we can go over your, your prior application and tell you where things went wrong. A lot's going to come down to, to what's going on. Uh, I've seen people withdraw from Caribbean schools for one reason or another and, and apply and get in and uh, to a U.S. school. You're going to have to mark yes that you matriculated at another medical school, and that may raise some red flags. Schools may be concerned that you're just going to withdraw from their program, too, if you don't like it. So mm-hmm. um, there's there's lots of concerns all around, uh, but maybe a, a one-off session with uh, Dr. Ryder Varinia. Mm-hmm. Uh, or myself, I have very, very limited schedule for some one-time calls. But uh, yeah, yep. All right, let's keep tracking. All right, one person in the audience says they're a Hoovian. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks. I'm not alone. <laughs> I like the World Health Organization too. <laughs> Doctor Who? It's been on since 1963. Well, you just kept saying who instead of Doctor Who, so I'm just going to keep making other jokes about who's, other who's that I know. <laughs> this TV show is 60 years old. It's I know. It's it's how, how many Doctor Who's are we on now? Like, We're on 14. Okay. Well, about to be 14. Okay. And, 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 <laughs> I know enough to ask how many there are because I know. That the, and, they, but you also change. know enough to ask to not ask because then I'll go on a tangent. So let's yeah. talk pre-med. Unfed, <laughs> Unfed, 97. <laughs> how do adcoms view letters of intent or letters of interest? <sighs> Dr. Wright, what do you think? Um, I, you know, I think they take them with a grain of salt, frankly. Um, they, you know, I, I think that, uh, ad, ad, admissions committees, you know, I think it depends on the, the structure of the admissions process at a medical school. And I say that to say this, that it is possible that the admissions committee itself will never see that in letter of intent or that letter of interest. Only the director of admissions, the staff in the, in the office will see that letter of intent or letter of interest potentially, at least on the front end of, of kind of their consideration process. Now, that doesn't mean you don't send one. It just means that it's going to vary in terms of, of, of how they're going to view it and, uh, you know, we, we used to get lots of letters of intent, particularly after the interview, and uh, and it really didn't make a, a, a big difference uh, unless we came down to the wire, you know, right at the end, and, and we're really looking for somebody that's going to be able to show up. And, you know, in, in that case, it might mean something. Now, again, all that to say, you know, uh, it, it's not going to hurt uh, the process. So I would say you know, go ahead and send one in, but it may not help the process either. Yeah. And make sure that the school accepts them. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. Don't send one unsolicited. Right. All right. Yes. 
Tony asks, does starting out at a community college or taking classes there hurt your chances? Negativo, negativo. So, Scott, you you and I always have fun conversations about community college. Where community college potentially may hurt is needing grade repair and doing that at a community college is, is your thought there. That's right. That's right. You know, I think there's a lot of students that start out at community college for a variety of different reasons. Cost is is probably a big one. Yep. Uh, schedule, you know, available classes and schedule times and stuff like that can also be a, a factor. But I, I, I wouldn't say that uh, it's going to hurt your chances. I think the key is if you're if you're making really good grades at the community college. When you transfer over to the to the four year institution, you need to have similar grades. If your grades go from a three eight down to a three four, that's going to be concerning to uh, an admissions committee. But you want to really, you know, have a consistency there that shows that regardless of where you're going to school, you're doing well. Yeah. Can we? Uh, <laughs> I, I want. I wish we could show without names, without calling people out. This is the kind of toxic, like, you can only get A's in your science courses, your prereqs, that, like, we need to we need to try to get away from this. Yes, grades are important. And if you don't get an A minus or better in some of your prereqs, that's okay. Um, and hopefully it happens earlier rather than later. Uh, you can overcome. There are lots yes. of ways to overcome. So. Yeah, and, and B does not mean bad. <laughs> That's not the definition of a B. Yes. And C does not mean can't get into medical yeah. school. Yeah. Right. I literally, literally just got a, an Instagram message uh, from someone says, Dr. Gray, I just got into my top choice school. I had three C's from a really bad semester and I did it just telling my story and following your yeah. advice. So, Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And again, not to call out that, that specific person, but we do want to call out that behavior. Yeah. It's, just, mm. it's, it's not true. It's mm-hmm. fear-based. People keep telling each other those lies and then believing them. And that's part of what we're trying to do here is demystify and yep. help you understand the real, the real situation. Yeah. It's a, it's saw, a myth. It's a myth. I and then typically some, what happens, sorry, Vernie, go ahead. No, no, no. So I, I was just going to say, I saw someone posted on Facebook, a parent, I think saying the same exact thing. It absolutely comes down to GPA and MCAT score. And I was like, no, not really. But, negative, negative. Yeah. yeah. Typically what happens is they come back to us in five or 10 10 years going, okay, like I'm confident in my chances of getting into medical school now. I was told I could never get in because I had a, a semester with two C's and one in, in OCHEM. <laughs> like, if only you didn't give up on your dream 10 years ago, but here you are now, which is awesome. Let's do it. Right. It's such a big cohort in our application academy this year. People who got bad advice, who got told that you know, one or two C's or some, some factor in their life made being a doctor impossible for them. And then they got a little older and wiser and got a little bit, you know, waded through some of that imposter syndrome and realized this yeah. is my dream. And those things that were factors that are problems are, are yeah. surmountable. Yeah. I was, I was telling you uh, in our meeting before we came on live here, uh, a student who I worked with last application cycle, uh, 0.7 first semester, I think GPA 1.7 uh, GPA after his first year academically dismissed from his state college uh joined the military went on that way uh became a corpsman 
was in the medical realm, I think became interested in medicine, was going to go down the nurse to NP route because he thought medicine was not in his his cards. He, he was academically dismissed from from school. Uh, impossible to get into medical school is what a lot of people would have told him or did tell mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. I randomly met him at a, a meetup. I, I Whenever I travel, I have dinners and invite people and we come and sit around and basically do an ask the dean just around the dinner table. And I was like, of course you can get into medical school. It's going to take some time to, to fix your, your grades. But of course you can. Uh, and he he messed. I had a call with him yesterday and, and he got into the medical school for the state school that he was academically dismissed from last week. The, the school that he, he wanted to go to. So, yeah, um, super circle. awesome. Yeah. Full circle. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Time and work. Yeah. Yep. Time and work will cure just about any issue in your application. Yep. yep. We we are very much a what have you done for me lately kind of world. And so mm-hmm. as long as you can show that your recent work shows that you're academically capable, mm-hmm. then Absolutely. that's good. Yeah. Apparently, uh, not having a fully formed kind of cortex and frontal lobe means not everyone gets perfect grades in college <laughs> and doesn't make the best <laughs> decisions ever. Yeah. So overcome all right is the data on the msar skewed since schools self-report to the double mc could be Uh, it's possible Possible. i don't think it's likely but i think it's possible yeah um the double i am not so. Yeah, I'm not questioning the integrity of what the schools are reporting. That's not what I'm about to say. I am going to cite a supposed Mark Twain quote, lies, 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 damn lies, and statistics. Yep, right? Right. Um, you have to be very careful when you're looking at that numbers, those numbers, because a lot of people misinterpret them. Um, people get mean and media and confused all the time. You should have learned that in stats. If not, do a quick Google. Um, and a lot of people internalize mean or median as cutoff, mm-hmm. which is just dramatically, you're shooting yourself in the foot when you do that. Yeah. So do I think the data is skewed? No. Do I think that you, not you personally, Trumpet, but any re- any reader, any student might be skewing the data when they internalize it? Absolutely. It happens all the time. Yes. Misinterpreting it. Misinterpreting it. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, another Ask the Dean in the books, episode 89. I can't believe we're 11 weeks away from 100 episodes <laughs> of Ask the Dean. Uh, let's start it as Strange. a fun little thing. It's grown into this wonderful little thing. We uh, started, we only had one Dean. Yeah. <laughs> we doubled. <laughs> we doubled. Yay. We need to change the name, Ask the Deans. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We need to pluralize it. Um, Thank you all for hanging out. Uh, got a hundred of you here hanging out with us today. We'll be here again mm-hmm. next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, or you can come check out my kind of solo Instagram live that I do in my beanbag chair over in the corner of my <laughs> office uh, on Fridays at 11 a.m. Eastern. You can come there as well. Uh, go check out mapped, M-A-P-P-D.com for some more uh, help with all of your pre-med questions. Yep. Yep. We'll uh, 
see you next week. Catch you see later. you. Everyone. Bye. Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.